0: Okay, good evening, everybody. I was pretty weak. Good evening. Thank you. Welcome back to uh, Season 3. Very special thank you to those of you who worked so hard to make this happen. Isaac Romano spearheading the, uh, the endeavors together with Michal Mirsky and Jonathan Belolo and everyone else, Sam, who is involved with the setup and so many others. A very special thank you to Mrs. Chet who's sponsoring tonight's shir. nishmas, Baruch ben Mordechai, and hopefully through our learning, his neshama should have an aliyah. By a show of hands, how many of you would say that you love at least one person... That could be more than one. Unconditionally. I love him or her or them unconditionally by a show of hands. Mm, Couples who are here together gets pretty tricky. (laughs) Once one has their hand up, how could you not? (laughs) So that doesn't count. Pretty much everyone in the room raised their hands. Except for you, Corey. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> what I'd like to do this evening in Mitzvah Shem is explore what exactly does that mean to love unconditionally. What does that mean in relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem's love for Klal Yisrael? I think if you were to ask most people, do we believe that Hashem loves us unconditionally? The answer would be, of course. Of course. But what does that mean? And then emulating the ways of Hashem, bringing it down to our own relationships, what does that look like? To love a child, to love a spouse, to care for someone unconditionally. What does that look like? One of the greatest novels of the 20th century reads you a couple of lines here. Once there was a little bunny, who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. And we know, as the story progresses, the baby bunny is thinking of different ways of escaping. I could become a sailboat, and I'll sail in the seas. And the mother says back, I'll become a cloud. I'm going to blow you right back to me. And the bunny thinks of becoming a flower in a garden and the mother bunny says back, no problem, I'm going to be a gardener, I'm going to make sure to get you. At the very end of the book, little bunny has one last brilliant idea. I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks, said the bunny, I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. War and Peace, that's the name of the novel, for those who are not familiar. (laughs) So it seems like the mother bunny loves her baby bunny unconditionally. No matter what you want to do, you want to run away from me, you want to rebel, You you want to find your own life and have nothing to do with me, you should know. I'll always be waiting here with open arms. That's a good illustration of an unconditional love, but I'd like to flesh it out, I'd like to understand what that means in practical terminology. I remember reading, there was an article about loving unconditionally, where the author was suggesting that the definition of this form of love is where you're loving without expectations I have no expectations from you I'm loving you without judgment without evaluation without assessing who you are and what you're doing without superimposing my view of life and morality on you that's the definition of loving unconditionally is to love without expectation but we agree to that is that a Torah idea does Hashem love us without expectations? Do I love my spouse, my child, my friend, my brother without expectations? Is that the definition of unconditional love? So we have Pasha's Re'eh this week where we have a beautiful message. We're informed that we're. Children of Hashem. Klal Yisrael, you're defined as Bonim. You're my children. And therefore, as the verse goes on to elaborate, don't excessively mourn. We spoke about this on Sunday morning. Don't hurt yourself. You're my child. The main thrust of this message seems to be, according to the Ibn Ezra, one of the the earlier Rishonim, he says, Hashem's telling us that once you realize that you're my child, we have that level of relationship between us. And I Hashem love you more than a parent does to a child. Right? You think of that most powerful, radiant, awesome love that you can't even put into words, that, that feeling that, that a parent has for his child. You would do anything, you would sacrifice your life, you would take a bullet. Hashem saying, even utilizing that human experience, you really have no clue the power, the the nuclear force of my love for you. And therefore, you should realize, because I'm orchestrating everything in this world, everything that happens is ultimately Latov. It's for your best. You may not always understand it, and we may have periods of darkness and confusion, but explains the Ibn Ezra, just like a small child has such a reliance, has such a sense of confidence when his father or mother is bringing him somewhere, is taking him somewhere, is bringing him to the doctor, he's getting a shot. There's pain involved, there might be a, a, annoyance, but I know somehow it's for my best because I know how much you love me. Banim matem lo is trust me, I'm orchestrating your reality. And it's coming from an infinite wellspring of love you can never imagine. In the words of the Zohar, I like to quote this often, but the Zohar tells us that, If a human being would only have a little tiny bit of a glimpse into the awesome love that Hashem has for Klal Yisrael, we would start roaring like lions, chasing after Hashem, wanting to embrace the source of that love. If we just had a little bit of an insight into the awesome love Hashem has for Klal Yisrael. That seems to be the main message here. You are my children, and therefore I love you more than anything you could possibly imagine. The question is, are there any stipulations? Are there any limitations? Is it dependent upon my behavior? Is it based on whether or not I'm listening to you, respecting you, obeying you? Are there any conditions? So we find a very intriguing debate. This is a Gemara in Kedushin where it seems like they're arguing over such a basic philosophy. The Gemara tells us, based on, on this posik, banim atem lehashem Yehuda was of the opinion, bizman shatem noagim minak banim, when you act like children, right? usually, if you're acting like a child, I'm going to treat you like a child, but that's actually true, according to Rabbi Yehuda, when you're acting like my son, so then, kruyim banim, you're considered children, that love, that connection, that closeness, is in full effect. However, if you're not behaving like a child, you're distant from me, you're separating yourselves from me, you're running away like the baby bunny was from his mommy, so then you're not considered my children. That's what Rebbe Yehuda says. Sounds like the love is not fully unconditional. It sounds like it's dependent on how we're behaving. Rebbe Mayer argues on Rebbe Yehuda. And Rabbi Meir says his famous words, Bein kachu, bein kach atem kruyim banim. Bein kach, kach means no matter what you do, no matter how you behave, no matter how far you go and how distant you feel, and how far you're trying to separate yourself from me, kruyim banim, I consider you my child. There's a biological, there's a spiritual relationship here. No matter what you do, you can't sever that bond. That's Rabbi Yehuda. Sorry, that's Remeyer. Okay, sounds like a pretty big debate. Remeyer's telling us God's love is conditional, or so it seems. And Remeyer's telling us that no, Benkach o Bainkach, no matter what, I always love you. Just like the mother bunny. How do we paskin? How do we rule on this on this issue? The scary thing is, we have a Gemara in that says generally speaking, when you have a debate between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir, who do we go with? Rabbi Yehuda. Right, generally speaking, we go with Rabbi Yehuda. However, Baruch Hashem, this is one of the few exceptions where the Rashba writes this in the Tshuva, we paskin like Rabbi Meir. Why do we paskin like Rabbi Meir in this particular issue? He says, first of all, the Gemara goes on to quote many verses that seem to support Reb opinion, because there are many places throughout Tanakh where the Jewish people are called rebellious children, children who are, who are straying from the path, but we're still called children. Mm-hmm. There are other reasons given as well, but the, the practical halacha seems to be, and there are interesting ramifications of where and when this applies, But we rule in accordance with Rebbe Meir. No matter what you do, no matter how far you go, Bani Matem L'Hashem Lokechem, Hashem says, you are my child. There is a grandmother of 12 children who passed away when she was 98 years old. Very influential, really, in all of their lives. And the topic of conversation pretty much in every interaction she had with anyone she would meet, was how amazing and wonderful her grandchildren are. And she would go on to speak about them and list all of their accomplishments and the girls, they're so beautiful and they're doing so many great things and the men are so handsome and they're thriving and they're so educated. There was one grandchild named Jeff who really had a pretty hard time in life and he wasn't doing much of anything, and he got himself into some trouble, and then in some deeper trouble, and he was in jail for a while, and he was shunned by his parents. Not the, uh, the most upstanding citizen, let's just say. However, one of the other grandchildren relates that whenever she would hear her grandmother speak about all of her nachas, all of the joy she has from the whole mishpacha, who would she speak about the most? Jeffrey, Jeffrey's out of jail now, right? He's really working his way up. He's got himself a job, right? Seven dollars an hour. He's doing something. A good health plan. He now has an apartment, right? She would speak about Jeffrey all the time. And it wasn't just to her friends, but it was to Jeffrey himself. She passes away, And at the funeral, you have the 12 grandchildren and many, many great-grandchildren. Today, during the funeral, Jeffrey is a middle-aged man. Baruch Hashem, he got himself, you know, somewhat of a normal job. He got married. He now owns a home, and he's a whole different person. But for 20 years of his life, he was a nebuch. He was the oldest of the grandchildren, and therefore, he was the one representing everyone to speak at the funeral. I'll share with you the words that Jeffrey spoke about his grandmother. He said, when my grandmother passed away, I was floored. Grandma knew the meaning of unconditional love. She always told me I was a good person, that there were good times ahead for me. She never abandoned me. She visited me in places where no one else would visit. When no visitors were allowed, she wrote me letters. She was a lifeline in the darkest hole. She told me that no matter what I had done, she completely forgave me and that she was confident that I would turn things around and build a good life for myself. She believed that I had greatness inside when I had given her no reason to think so. When my own parents wanted nothing to do with me, when my friends were gone, her letters kept coming. And with her visits came little gifts to help me along the way. And when she, she, when she saw me, she hugged me with love and forgiveness. It was because of her en, en, unending confidence in me that I was able to rebuild my life, that I'm able to be the person I am today, Quite possibly, the fact that I'm alive at all. Everything I have, everything I am, is thanks to her. What unconditional love can do, right, even before we defined exactly what it is, but that sense of someone trusting in me, somebody loving me, feeling secure in the relationship, that could change a life. That could give you that that feeling of support that you need to make it through hard times. No matter where you've gone, you're my child, I'm your father. What I'd like to explore is, but what is this debate? What is the Machlokas? How could they be fighting about such a, it would seem like such a basic principle in Judaism? Do we believe that God loves us unconditionally or not? What exactly are they debating? Now, there was a time in history where Jewish people, at least many of the Jewish people, were under the assumption that God hates us. When did this happen? So when the spies come back from Eretz Israel? And everyone hears about how fortified the, the land is and how strong they are and their weapons and their advanced warfare. There's no way we could go into Eretz Israel. So at that point, when Moshe is relaying the story, he says, The Jewish people were murmuring amongst themselves in their homes. And what were they suggesting? What were their feelings? You know why Hashem took us out of Egypt? Because He hates us. He hates us. And He's going to let us die. Hashem hates us. Now, it's one thing to feel scared. You know, you're hearing how how hard this war is going to be. Right? Not to have the the greatest bitachon or sense of security that Hashem will help us. But, but how did they say, and these were not, these were not lowly people, right? these were people who experienced miracles. How were they able to say, B'Sinnus Hashem O Hashem hated us. And that's why he took us out of Mitzrayim. And Hashem hates you. So I want to understand what this debate is between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. How could Rabbi Yehuda say that Hashem's love is conditional? And how could the Jewish people possibly suggest, possibly believe that Hashem hates us. Where does that come from? What does that mean? How do you define hatred? Like usually, we would assume, hatred means I have very negative feelings towards you. Right? I have resentment. I despise. That's hatred. How does the Torah define sinna? Right in the lexicon of the Torah, what's the definition of hatred? Mm-hmm. So we know that when Yaakov marries first Leah and then Rachel, the Torah says, Rachel He loved Rachel more than Leah. Okay. Then the very next pasuk says, Hashem ki leah." Hashem saw that Leah was hated by Yaakov. And therefore, the Yiftach is Rachma. He allowed her to conceive. And Rachel was barren. So those two psukim don't seem to make any sense. The first pasuk is Yaakov loved Rachel more than Leah. The clear implication is he loved them both, but he just had more love for Rachel than he did for Leah. Then Hashem sees that Leah is hated and therefore He gives her the blessing of childbirth. Leah was never hated. So <coughs> Rebbeinah B'chai explains that Chas to think that Yaakov had any hatred, any negative feeling in his heart for Leah, you can't say that. He loved her dearly. However, the definition of sinna The way the Torah defines hatred is any diminishing of love. Any lack of love in the the lens of the Torah, that's called sinna. There's no lack of love. So Hashem saw that it wasn't the same love. Hashem saw that, that there was a little bit of a chisoron, there is a diminishing of love that Yaakov had for Leah, and that's referred to as hatred the Jewish people never thought for a second that Hashem hates us and therefore He's taking us out to let us get destroyed. However, the thought that crossed their mind was maybe we're hated just like Leah was hated, which means Hashem loves us immensely. Of course we believe that. That's the whole principle of our religion. HaKadosh Baruch loves us. But because of our mistakes along the way, maybe there's a diminishing of love. Maybe that love is not unconditional in the sense that when we disobey, when we neglect and we ignore the Torah, so maybe Hashem still loves us tremendously, but it's not as much as before. That was the thought of the Dor Hadeya. The Jews at that point in time were concerned. Maybe there's a diminishing of love. That I want to suggest may be the debate. Rebbe Yehuda and Remeir, when Rebbe Yehuda says that we're only considered banim, we're only considered children if we're acting like children he doesn't mean to say otherwise Hashem views us as strangers, right? I don't recognize you. You're not my child get out of my house chas v'shalom! That's not how Kaddosh Baruch Hu views us We believe that Hashem has an infinite, awesome, radiant, powerful love for all of Klal Yisrael. The only debate is, can that love be impacted by our behavior? Rabbi Yehuda was of the opinion, yes, it could be. We're we're still just like this, but, but there could be a diminishing of the love when we're totally ignoring the Torah. Rabbi Meir answers back, and this is how we kechem," which means no matter what we do, no matter how far we go, there's never a diminishing of love because Hashem loves us fully, unconditionally. Does that mean Hashem doesn't have expectations from us? There is uh, the great Rosh Hashiva, Rav Yaakov Naiman. He was the head of the yeshiva of Or Yisrael and Petach Tichva. And he was known for his, his warmth and his love for all of the Talmidim, all of the students that were in the yeshiva. And there is one young man, Yehuda, who was having a difficult time. And he started hanging out with the wrong crowd. So the Rosh Hashiva hears through the grapevine that uh, Motsi Shabbos, after Shabbos is over, Yehuda's going down to, to the to center of town to see a movie and he's hanging out with a crowd that's having a very negative influence on him. And he sees Yehuda throughout the week and he's definitely not the same boy he was. So Rosh Hashiva asks one of his friends, he says, do me a favor. I just want the best for him. Next time you hear when Shabbos is over, that he's going to Ben Yehuda Street, wherever it was, to hang out with the guys. Please let me know right away. Rebbe, I don't want to get him in trouble. He's not gonna get in trouble, trust me, but please let me know. So Moti Shabbos comes around. Fellow comes over to the and says, Yehuda's planning on going. He usually takes the number two bus, which is leaving probably in about 15 minutes, I just wanted to relay the information. Please don't get him in trouble." So to beat him there, Rabbi Nyman takes a taxi and he gets there, right in front of the movie theater and he's hanging out, he's waiting. Now, he didn't look like everyone else in Ben Yehuda Street, He had a long, you know, furry, very regal, royal coat. He had his hat on, long gray beard, waiting for Yehuda. Eventually the bus comes, it stops. People are coming off the bus. Here comes Yehuda with his knapsack. And there he sees his Rosh Hashim is standing there. Right? Frozen and paralyzed in fear. Rebbe, please don't kill me! But he couldn't say anything. He just stood there with his eyes wide open looking at Hagon Harav Naiman standing in the middle of Ben Yehuda Street. So, Shiva says, Good vach, Yehuda. How are you? No response. Closing his eyes, pretending he's not here. So, Naiman goes over to Yehuda and says, Listen. Puts his arm on his shoulder. Do me a favor. It's the middle of the winter. It happens to be freezing outside. And you're not wearing any coat. He takes off his big fur coat, gently places it around Yehuda's shoulders, and says, just promise me to keep this on the whole night. I don't want you getting a cold. At that point, big bear hug and a kiss, good vach. He gets back in the taxi. All right, so Yehuda said about that interaction, the coat, the hug, and the kiss changed my life forever. What was it about that experience? It was a realization that he sees more of me than the issues or the struggles that I'm going through that doesn't impact his respect or his love for me this is something I could be a part of does Hashem have expectations for us the answer is you better believe it we have mitzvahs we have instructions for living Hashem expects us to be great people to be great Jews he has high expectations mediocrity is not really an option Hashem wants us to be thriving, spiritual, compassionate beings. That's the goal. But when we fail, Hashem still loves us in the exact same way, with the exact same connection. The love never diminishes. Bilam, when he was looking at Klal Yisrael, and he expressed the words of prophecy, he said, "Lo hibit oven be Yaakov that Hashem doesn't see any iniquity with Yaakov, with the Jewish people. And He doesn't see any sin within Yisrael. Hashem doesn't see our sins. That's what Bilam said. And Rashi explaining those words, he says, al meaning even when the Jewish people are transgressing the Torah, are not following the mitzvos. <laughs> Hashem is not so meticulous. Why? So Bilam continues, <laughs> Hashem is with his people. Usruas melech bo. Usruas melech means the friendship of the king is there. We're buddies. Hashem doesn't see sin. Hashem doesn't see our mistakes, our iniquity. We're friends. There's a friendship. And Rashi again explains, Even when we do things that are totally rebellious. Hashem doesn't leave the room. Hashem doesn't kick us out of the house. Hashem's not leaving because there's a friendship. Sruah Rashi says is, chiba It's a love It's a connection Hashem's not leaving the room So it's a, it's a nice idea But it almost sounds like It's bordering on heresy Hashem doesn't care Hashem doesn't see what we're doing right? We're doing this isser and, and that prohibition ah, I'm not medaktik I'm not so meticulous We're friends We do believe in din v'cheshben. We do believe that there are consequences to action. We do believe that there's schar and onesh, that that, that what we do makes a difference. And Hashem does care how we behave. And Hashem does care whether or not I'm trying to follow the Torah. How could Bilam be be prophesizing that lohibit oven oven Yaakov? Hashem doesn't see it? Right? The Gemara B'Bakamah says, Anyone who says, Hashem just doesn't care about what we do, he'll look over Yevatru Moohi, He'll look over you. you th- if you think Hashem doesn't care, he's not going to care about you. So it sounds like Hashem does care. But yet Bilam is telling us, Hashem doesn't see Avon. He doesn't see sin. How do we explain this? So the Orachayim says something so, so simple but so magnificent. He quotes a verse in Shir Shirim. This is in source number 14. Kulach <speaking> Yophe <in Hebrew> that my beloved is totally good. You're fully beautiful. Umum <speaking> Ein <Hebrew> There's no blemish in you. There's no blemish in you. So explains the Orachayim and this when it comes to understanding Hashem's unconditional love for Klal Yisrael and then trying to apply it to our relationships, this is probably the most important thing we need to know. This Orachim. Orachim says, what Bilam is teaching us is that when Hashem sees that we're sinning, when Hashem sees that we're making very big mistakes, He doesn't see that within you. Lohibit oven bi Yaakov. He doesn't view me differently. I'm still his child. That love is still just as powerful as it was before I did this sin. The relationship has not been severed. The love has not been impacted at all. There's some schmutz there. There's some dirt. got to wash it off. Of course, Hashem cares about us doing the right thing and avoiding the wrong thing. vachron. if we think Hashem doesn't care, then we're just not having the right perspective on life. But Lohibit Ovan Biyakov, he doesn't view me differently. He feels bad that I'm making these mistakes, and he wants me to come closer to him but it doesn't change the essence of the love. The love itself is not impacted. No matter what happens, you're my child. Uh, when uh, we had Moshe Rubin speak on Shabbos, telling stories about his relationship with Reb David Schrenk, who passed away recently, we mentioned him on Tisha B'Av as well. One story that was just mind-boggling is when he said he was there in the, in the yeshiva in Adelphi ninth grade. And after going through some turmoil, as we heard about, he decided, enough was enough. I've been here. I like Rabbi Trank. He's a cool guy. But you know what? I got to get out of here for now. So he finds his way back to Muncie. It's about a two and a half hour drive. And there he is at home. His mother and father were surprised to see him. "What What are you doing back home, Moshe? You're supposed to be in yeshiva. And he said, listen, I just, I need a break, you know. I need some space. So his mother calls up Rabbi Trank and says, I just want you to know, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but uh, Moshe just walked into our house. What's going on? And Rabbi Trank said back, "Uh, you know what, I I cannot speak right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch soon. And he hangs up. Okay, I guess he's a busy man. Two and a half hours later, there's a knock on the door. And they look outside and they see there's Reb together with the entire ninth grade class and they're sitting on the lawn with their gemurras and he's telling them the shear. He's giving shear. He's like, Moshe, we need you to come here, Moshe. Let's go. We're all waiting for you. We're learning Baba Kama. Moshe, come on. And they sat there for hours learning on the front lawn of Moshe Rubin's house. Then Rabbi Trank said, in his, in his own unique way, I'm not leaving here without my Talmud. Moshe, come on. He rented a van, and he took the entire ninth grade, two and a half hours, to Moshe Rubin's house to show him that I want you and I care about you. And even though you're trying to run away, I'm the mother bunny. <laughs> here I am. I love you unconditionally. Does Hashem have expectations? Of course he does. But the love is not based on those expectations. When it comes to our relationships with the child, with the spouse, we also have expectations. The defining factor as to whether or not our love is conditional or unconditional is this. Are my expectations based on a selfish agenda? Are there things that I need from you for me to continue loving you in the way I do? That's an ava shatoli That's a love that's contingent on something and therefore that love doesn't last. If I have expectations... Based on my love for you because I want you to thrive and I want you to be healthy physically and emotionally and spiritually and therefore I want you to achieve greatness Those expectations don't take away from love. Those are the expression of an ava She'enot to those are expressions of an unconditional love so getting back to that initial article unconditional love is love without expectations is that definition wrong or right the short answer is it's wrong I'm allowed to expect things from you but my love is not based on selfish expectations but I do want your best if I am Hashem, I want you to be doing the mitzvahs and coming close to me if I am your spouse I want you to be coming closer to a Kodesh Baruch Hu and thriving in your Ruchnius and your Gashmius And if I'm your parent, I want the same thing. There's a famous book that goes back decades. This is by uh, Dorothy Briggs, who was really one of the the, the big personalities in helping the world understand the importance of self-esteem. So her groundbreaking book, Your Child's Self-Esteem, The Key to His Life, she writes as follows. And it's really really coming from the Orachaim. The Orachaim philosophy is what she's sharing with us. Separating behavior from self. There is a high psychological price tag attached to living with judgments. The child learns to think of his behavior as synonymous with his person. Because behavior comes from the child, just as heat comes from the sun... It's easy to think, mistakenly, bad behavior, bad person. Good behavior, good person. Such thinking fails to separate a child from his actions. Whenever personal worth is dependent upon performance, personal value is subject (coughs) to cancellation with every mistake. One more time. Whenever personal worth is dependent upon performance, then personal value is subject to cancellation with any mistake. If I'm trying to to encourage you to do the right thing, but the way I'm doing that is giving you the message, when you do what I think is the right thing, then I love you. And when you do what I think is the wrong thing, then I don't love you as much. I'm withholding that love from you. That means your worth, your value, whether or not you're worthy of my love, is dependent upon your actions. And we all make mistakes. And that means it's a roller coaster of a life. How do you develop self-esteem if I'm, I'm being loved but I'm not being loved because I messed up? Practically speaking, that would mean, when it comes to a spouse or a child, instead of saying, you are, you are so incredibly lazy, right? Why can't you just get up and get to work on time? Okay, we could say, you know, is there anything that I could do to, to help you get up in the morning? You know, I, I see that it's very difficult. What can I do? Or, you are so rude. How can you speak to me like that you might have a valid point and it could very well be that your husband said something totally disgusting but there are ways of 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 showing my dislike of what you said or my disappointment in what you did am i defining you as a person you are this or you are never that or am i saying this is not okay i can't be spoken to that way doesn't mean you have to be timid at a pushover. You have to express yourself. But how I express myself will send the message that either our love is still strong, our love is unconditional, it's not about how I'm viewing you as an overall person, but this is not okay. Or am I saying, you're a loser. You're a loser because this is how you act. Right? That's a big difference. Sometimes in a relationship, the, uh, the husband makes the wrong turn. And he did so because he didn't want to ask for directions. Classic case. Okay? So there are two ways of addressing him after he does something like that. It could either be, oh, David. Oh, David. Just saying his name in that tone of voice could be potentially writing a whole paragraph. I always think you're incompetent. And here's another example. Thank you. Right? That's what it could mean. I'm just saying his name. David. Or it could be we really should have asked for directions, right? I'm getting the same point across with the same power, but one way I'm destroying you, and I'm telling you I don't really love you that much, and the other way is I do not like what you just did. If we make people feel that their value or their worth is dependent upon their behavior, so when it comes to a child, you have no chance of building healthy self-esteem, and when it comes to any relationship, you have a very hard time creating unconditional love. In Shir Hashirim, in the very beginning of Shir Hashirim, Shlomo HaMelech writes, ni I am dark, I'm dirty, but I'm beautiful. I'm dirty, but I'm beautiful. What does that mean? So Rashi says that this is the analogy of Claudius Yisrael saying, it's true, we've made many, many mistakes, and we have a lot of schmutz on us, and when you look at us superficially, you're going to see there's a lot of dirt. But, but that's not me. That doesn't define who I am. That means I've made poor decisions, but that doesn't mean I'm a poor person. That means I've made mistakes, but it doesn't mean that I am a mistake. I'm dirty. I could wash it off. I could get rid of it. Share with you one, one last thought here. This is an article that was written by a young lady talking about her experience during engagement and in the wedding itself. She writes that the time between saying yes and saying I do was shorter for us than most. Yet by the time we spoke our vows to one another, nothing was as we expected it to be. Speaking vows is not a classic that's done in in the Orthodox ceremony, more in Hasidic circles you'll find that. Just joking. (laughs) (laughs) So we met in August, and we were engaged a few months later. We talked about everything, big, little, hard, scary, unlikely, hopes, dreams, plans, everything. And we had no doubt. We all know it's easier to say things than to actually do things, and then quite suddenly our words had to be put to the test. Three months before our wedding day, I was diagnosed with cancer. What followed was a whirlwind of appointments, scans, tests, biopsies, talks of treatment plans, side effects, and survival rates. While we had already had many important conversations in the short time before we were engaged, we now had discussions of great consequence with a true need for sincerity, I offered him an out. I said, you don't have to go through with this. We're not married yet. This could be a total disaster for you. He didn't take it, he never hesitated. I submitted myself to a course of radiation therapy and while I was allowed a short break in treatment for our wedding, I had another surgery, countless more tests and chemotherapy awaiting me when we returned home. Nothing was as we expected it would be as our wedding day approached We had gone from the bliss of a newly engaged couple planning our wedding and dreaming of our future together to the chaos of life As a cancer patient and her caregiver each day with the possibility of seeing our nightmares turned into reality Still while everything around us was uncertain. We had no doubt in each other Our love for each other and the love and support of our family and friends lifted us above the chaos to where we could see clearly our future together, whether it be days, months, or years. At the wedding we exchanged vows, and this is what we said, this is the vows. I promise to always be open and honest with you. I will be devoted to you in a true relationship. I promise to love you unconditionally, to be supportive and to understand, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, all the days of my life. From this day forward, you shall not walk alone. My arms will be your shelter, my heart will be your home. We tested our vows before we ever spoke them, and we entered into our marriage knowing those vows were spoken with true conviction. When I look back on our wedding day, I can almost completely forget about all the circumstances we faced and the time and remember it fondly as one of the best moments of my life. One of the few moments I had no doubt. Today, we celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary. I'm thrilled to report it is with no major health concerns, with our family completed by having three amazing kids despite great infertility challenges with my husband having secure employment for the last 13 years and having our own home. Getting here was nothing like we expected, but being together through it all was everything of that, I have no doubt. Unconditional love means, I'm not loving you because I need to get something from you. And I'm not loving you because you're giving me the the boost or the confidence. Obviously, any relationship needs to be a give and take. But the love is no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I hold you special in my heart. That's unconditional love. As we go into Chodesh Elul, we're going to have Rosh Chodesh coming up on Shabbos. We're starting the month that's really defined as a Nila Do Diva Do di li. It's about this love relationship between us and Hashem. Hashem has great expectations for us. Right To achieve higher, to do more, to grow, to be the people we can be. But even though Hashem has great expectations, or perhaps more accurately, those great expectations are really a manifestation of the Kaddosh unconditional love. He wants the best for us. And no matter where we've been, like the mother bunny, I'm here. I want to embrace you if we could emulate the ways of Hashem in our own relationships, and as much as possible, try to implement this idea of the Orachayim. I love you because you're you. No matter what you do or don't do, I love you and I respect you. We have to have an open communication. I have to share with you what I like and dislike. But that doesn't impact my love for you. We should be zochit to feel Hashem's unconditional love, and in turn, we should share that with others. A good Shabbos. day it should say I should say, sure.